So did you take notice of the last two lines of Stuart's song? For every day I have on earth is given by the king. And we forget that so often, don't we? We are only here because of his grace and his mercy. So we're going to look together at this invitation that we have been given in the great parable. And we need to take care of that invitation. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. So that's Luke 14, 15 to 24. I'm reading from the NIV. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to, to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike made excuses. The first said, I bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now this parable teaches us clearly that no one, that no one will enter the kingdom of God without an invitation. An invitation given by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. But it also contains a warning to heed that invitation that when it is heard, to remember that it will not last forever. The parable of the great banquet in Luke's Gospel, if you read up your theology books, has a great many interpretations. And there's lots of debate still going on about its meaning. But much of this debate has little to do with us in our daily lives and our daily walk as Christians. The first reading this morning from Matthew's Gospel teaches us before all things to seek first the kingdom of God. This parable of the banquet is talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. How exactly can we seek the kingdom of God in our daily lives? It's a question I've been asked quite often by people. Well, how do I do it? Do I have to wait for it to arrive? How can I seek it? How can I find something that's not easily grasped? 
We find it by following the example of Jesus Christ, walking as closely with him as we can so that we become more and more like him. That involves a cost. A great cost to it. It's not something that's flippant. Jesus, in verses 25 to 36, lays out for us very starkly what the requirements are. And to count that cost, it's no good as I thought. I didn't realise it was going to be quite like this. I thought when I became a Christian, everything became fantastic. We have great worship services, we all sing together, we have great fellowship, nobody gets stroppy about anything and everybody agrees with everybody else. Well, sadly, no, that is not the truth. We are still fallen sinners. And it is no good us looking out of the window at people walking past thinking, well, I'm better than them because I'm in here. Because we were out there with them before Christ reached into our lives and drew us to him. This parable can be summed up as the feast at the end of this earthly age when Jesus Christ returns to hold that wedding feast. With his followers, both Gentiles and Jews, not one or the other, both one people. But this parable contains a warning that we need to take very great heed of, particularly in the times in which we live. The invitation to this banquet was free. It was freely given. It was given by grace. But its acceptance carries great responsibility. Discipleship of Jesus Christ is our responsibility. Jesus will not force you to do anything. He wants you to come willingly. He wants you to come in love for him as, we, as he loves us. Many, many people say, well, I just sit back and let Jesus do what he needs to do without realising, well, it's actually Jesus says and then we obey. We have to get up, we have to do things, we have to make changes. This parable speaks to three separate groups of people and tells us about the importance of not only receiving that invitation but taking it very seriously because the one who issued that invitation takes it very seriously. The invitation in this parable follows the set pattern that invitations were given at that time around Jesus. It was the custom when giving a dinner to invite a certain number of people. Those who were accepted were then counted. The meal was prepared according to the number who had accepted the invitation. The more people coming, the more food had to be prepared. For example, the chicken would be for two the amount and the type of meat depended on the number of people who had accepted that invitation to come. Once an animal had been killed, it must be eaten soon or else in the heat out there it would spoil very quickly. 
Therefore, to back out of that invitation at the last minute was very rude. You see, there's an insult. The invited guest was duty-bound to attend that banquet. Also, it was considered very rude to attend the banquet if you hadn't been invited, because that meal hadn't been prepared with you in mind. The second invitation was then a notification to the guests that the meal was ready, so come on in. In the case of this parable, Jesus has three sets of people in mind. The religious elite Jew, the outcast from the house of Israel, and the Gentile. Jesus, as we know, was invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee, a leader of that sect. Chapter 14 begins with Jesus' teachings about guests who choose a place of honour. When they arrive, they just go straight to the, the head of the table because they think they're the best. Then somebody more important arrives and they get asked to move down, so they face dishonour. It's better to take a lower place and be moved up and you get more honour. So for, as Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He follows this up by telling his host that he should have invited the poor and the broken, cripples, rather than to invite his rich friends who will pay him back. And we all know the feeling, we invite our friends, and we kind of expect that once we've invited them over for a meal, we kind of get an invite to go back with them, don't we? And if somebody doesn't invite us back, we may take umbrage and think, well, I'm not going to cook such a nice meal next time you come over because you didn't invite me back for another one. And we go round and round in circles because we're British and that's what we do. We wouldn't dream of going out on the street and finding people, homeless folk, and saying, come to the house and have a banquet. And we wouldn't get anything back. But this is what Jesus is teaching them. That He said, you should have done that. The poor cannot and could not repay you, but you will find your reward at the resurrection of the just. Now this made the Pharisees feel very uncomfortable. Of course, we know the Pharisees liked to be seen when they were praying, when they were walking around in the way they dressed. So one of them in this parable tells us to change the way things were going by saying, blessed is everyone who comes to the meal of the Lord. Now the background to this parable of Jesus saying is outlined in Isaiah 25 verses 6 to 9 it says on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples a banquet of aged wine the best of meats and the finest of wines on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people the sheep that covers all nations he will swallow up death forever the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Now Jesus, when he gives this parable of this meal, is speaking first and foremost to the original guests. So this is the religious elite of Israel. Those who are the first to be invited to this banquet. Acts 3, 25 to 26 says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed 
All the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Then when they refused the invitation because they were too busy, he went to the lame and the poor in the city. And those far cleverer than I work out that this is actually the lost from the house of Israel, the outcasts. Matthew 10, 5 to 8 says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go to the way of the Gentiles, do not any empty city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, so freely give. And then the last group, the guests from the highways and hedges. That's us, the Gentiles. Acts 13, verse 46 says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Since you repudiated it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. This great parable teaches that no one, as I've said before, can enter the kingdom of God without the invitation from God himself. And the warning is to heed that invitation to make sure we are ready to hear the second part of that. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him, you've already received your personal invitation to this banquet. So each one of you sitting here now in front of me has an invitation to be present at the greatest banquet of all time. What are you going to do with that invitation? That's an important question. What are you going to do with that invitation? We could read this passage and think, oh, the religious elite, they were stupid people. They've received this invitation from Jesus. He'd spent three years preaching to them, showing them miracles. And they were much more interested in going and plowing a field, making sure their oxen were clean, or being married. Didn't they know who Jesus Christ was? Some of them definitely did. But, and it's a big but, they preferred for themselves to be adored by the people rather than them adore the living God. And they paid a very heavy price. They lost their invitation to this banquet. Just read this passage again because it's relevant to what we come to next. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field, I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Then another said, I just got married so I can't come. Some of the men sitting here might know that one quite well. they are very, very pathetic excuses, I think. 
pathetic excuses for not coming to the greatest banquet that there will ever, ever be. Now in the parable, come now everything is ready, refers to the second coming of our Lord. Are you ready for that second coming? If Jesus Christ was to come back in 10 minutes, would you be ready to stand in front of him? Or would you be saying, oh, uh, yeah, I can't still do that, and I shouldn't. I haven't really signed up to do anything in the life of this church. Would you be ready to stand before Jesus Christ when he comes? So where does your invitation sit right now in your life? All these excuses that are taught by the Lord are based around possessions and family. They all seem eminently justifiable, don't they? Well, if I've just bought a field, I really need to go and look at it. Or if I've got oxen, I need to go and make sure one's not got a broken leg or one's not actually a proper ox. And I'll just do what my wife says. Though I'm married, so I have to do what my wife says. Now, from a secular worldview, they seem fine, don't they? But they are not what is expected of God's people when it comes to that invitation. Peter says to us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you feel that you are part of the royal priesthood? The priesthood serves God. Do you feel you are a particularly holy nation? Do you feel specially called out? Or do you prefer, as lots of people do, to just blend in with the secular society around us? Are you comfortable standing apart from them, being seen to be different? The Pharisees and the religious elite of the Jews took great pride in the fact that they were part of God's chosen race. So when Jesus brought this parable to them, they were deeply shocked. They were saying, but I'm a Pharisee. You're telling me that I'm not going to get into the kingdom of God. They had made the master of the house angry with their attitude. So he went out to the lost of Israel and gathered the Gentiles, which is you and me. Now we can become just like the Pharisees if we're not very careful. There are many of us who have become proud and arrogant about being the chosen people of God. We are in danger of losing our invitation for exactly the same reason that the Pharisees lost their invitation. We can lose sight of that invitation into God's kingdom by allowing the cares of everyday life 
crowd out the truth of that invitation. Herein, my friends, lies the greatest danger and the most deceitful lie from our enemy. All of these excuses seem very reasonable, and I am sure God doesn't mind. Well, actually, he does, because he goes on in the very next set of verses to tell us what he expects of us to be his people, to be his disciples, and to count the cost. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We like to avoid, we like to avoid verses like, depart from me, I never knew you. If we prefer to be on Jesus' right with the sheep and on the left with the goats. But what Jesus is saying is not you hate your parents, you hate your kids. He's saying this is about as John MacArthur would say, if he's not, you've got a serious problem. The church in the West has largely become soft. It's become comfortable club for the suburban middle class, if we are honest. We don't have persecution. We're not worried that there'll be a mob coming across the central car parking building to burn us out. We don't have to worry that our neighbours will throw a Molotov cocktail through our letter box in the middle of the night because they hate Christians. For many churches, as long as their minister lays out a nice, comfortable sermon that doesn't actually trouble me, I'm willing to come to the church and enjoy my Sunday morning. The Pharisees felt they were in a very comfortable place with everyone around them bowing and scraping to them. The best seats in the house, the best robes, etc. But Christianity, both and sisters, is supposed to make us feel God is continually honing those whom he loves. He wants you to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that is painful. He asks us to give up. church setting said, how are you? And then they walk off before you've even got a chance to answer. Sometimes you don't have a great diatribe, oh you need to read Psalm 34, you do.
feel that coming to church on a Sunday morning means I'm saved, I'm okay, I'm going to heaven, I'm in the kingdom of God. And he does not. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, us through the day. It's not in the completion of these things. Jesus wants to see us try. He wants to know, I do love you and I want to be like you, but I'm fallen. I'm a sinner. And I find it very difficult without the help of the Spirit and without the help of my brothers and sisters to sustain me when I feel weak and I feel pushed. We can metaphorically allow our own field, our own oxen, and even our spouses to stop us getting that invitation and cause us sometimes to forget that we even have it. The secular world does not recognize this day as being holy anymore. Shops are open, events are going on, people are running around doing stuff, and they just think, well, you know, the people in that building, they're a bunch of religious nutcases. I once shared my faith with people at work, and now half the people at work don't talk to me anymore because I'm a Christian. Don't figure that one. I've worked with them for six years. That happened four years ago. And still, half of them don't want to talk in case I try and convert them. As Christians, we are called to stand apart from the world we live in. with it and to become indivisible from it. It's very easy for us to just blend in with the world. There's so much choice, isn't there? What we watch on television, for example. You know, I'm sure there are folk here who love the soap operas. EastEnders. Now, I know people from the East End, I can tell you, EastEnders is nothing like the life that EastEnders live. The start language isn't bright enough by a long way. But we can get sucked into it, which is just what the devil wants us to do. We can get sucked into going to watch football matches. It's okay. I'm just going to go and watch the cup match. And you find, well, actually, they had a good cup match. I haven't been to church around for all six weeks. If you are part of this world and you are sucked into it, how can you possibly be sought and Making themselves relevant to society. If you make yourselves relevant to society, you make yourself an enemy of God, period. We are called to stand apart. We are called to support one another as brothers and sisters. We all face temptations in many different ways. If we have the Holy Spirit to help guide us, 
and we have each other to support us. I have a friend from our previous, one of our previous churches in Goring on Thames. I started a men's prayer group. There was a very small number of us. We used to meet every Saturday morning at seven o'clock. And he religiously came. He'd been a Christian for weeks. Now his, he had two sons. One was seven, I think one was eight. Football freaks. They loved football. They lived and died for football. When he announced to them, Sunday football is now a thing of the past. We go to church. We don't go and play football. So his two boys were crestfallen, to say the least. And they didn't really think very much of church being dragged along on a Sunday morning. But because he did not falter from that point of view, he said, Christ comes first, football comes second. They eventually accepted it and became an integral part of the youth club themselves. We too easily dish coming to a Sunday service for something else. As I said, it doesn't mean you are saved, but it is the combination of our week to come together as brothers and sisters and do praise and glory to God. But for the remainder of the week, what you do is seen by God. We may do things and think, well, nobody knows I've done that. Well, he does. knows everything we're going to do. And it's very important that we keep ourselves pure before the Lord. We're trying to. Now, this kingdom when it comes, will not be full of the rich and the famous, the wicked or the arrogant, but it will be filled with those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers and who are persecuted for their faith. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the book of Revelation, seven times to the seven churches, Jesus proclaims the gifts given to those who are the conquerors, the overcomers. Seven times. Not only by accident. Even the church that is a mess, there are still those who can overcome. Brothers and sisters, we have an invitation to the greatest sickness or illness, what a fantastic day that will be. Keep that invitation safe by the way you live your lives as Christians. Are you ready for the second part of that invitation to land on your doorstep? We don't know when it's going to come. The Lamb will return as the Lion of Judah with the trumpet course. I don't think we'll miss it but will we be ready for it when it comes? Are we prepared to build the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, ourselves here on earth now before he returns, to help one another to stay in the right place for that invitation? He's been gifted to us by the grace. Christ gave his life for us for it. We may indeed need to count as discipleship, but oh, is that going to be so worth it when he returns? Amen.
So we're going to uh, 